Fergie Fredrickson's tenure in the band Toto was unquestionably a highlight on his singing resume, but this singer-songwriter has had an extensive career as a solo artist as well as the lead vocalist for MS Funk, Trillion, and LaRue. Fergie is also a member of Legends, Voices of Rock, which is a collaboration of incredible rock vocalists that tours throughout Europe and includes Bobby Kemble, Bill Champlin, Steve O'Jerry, and Joe Lynn Turner. In 2010, Fergie was diagnosed with inoperable liver cancer. But through his faith, support from great friends, and with the strength to continue making music, Fergie has battled his way through his fight with cancer and is winning. In fact, he released his second solo album in late 2011 titled Happiness is the Road and is in the early stages of working on yet another album.
Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Fergie Fredrickson. Hey, Fergie, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, welcome. Well, Fergie, I want to begin, um, start off by telling you what a pleasure it is to have you as a guest on, on Inside Music Cast. And uh, I want to mention to our audience that, you know, you can actually verify this, but you are in great health. We've had a lot of questions about that. And where do you stand right now in terms of your progress with your battle against cancer? Um, well, right now it's kind of just putting out fires. Um, it's yeah. uh, to, a, to a point where if I see something or if they see something, uh, we do either a chemoembolization or this last time I had a uh, radiation type of embolization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're tackling it in the, in the right way. And, I, you know, I could do multiple ones of those in a year. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not, uh, I'm not out of the woods by any means, but I'm sitting good as far as being able to maintain where I'm at right now. So things are looking good. And there's stu- new stuff all the time. Matter of fact, this new uh, radiation treatment that I just did, is probably the one that hopefully it works because it has the potential to remove a, a tumor in one of my veins uh, that is my nemesis. You know, yeah. that little sucker in there is just, they won't give me a liver because uh, if I went south, they wouldn't give me a liver because they feel that that clot is, uh, is a tumor. And there's no way of proving it, but I've proved them wrong all along on this whole deal. I mean, I'm as far as they're concerned, I'm a walking miracle, and I'm glad to be that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, it looks bright. I mean, I was told by my uh, by my physician, um, the guru, the liver guru, that uh, just get out and live your life. The sky's the limit. You know, yeah, absolutely. There's no one's doing as well as you. Just go and do it. So uh, that's uh, that's sparked a couple of things in me. Not that I wasn't, but I was like, hey, that's kind of cool to hear. You know, yeah, so good. that's what I'm up to. Good. Well, it's here. Good to. Uh to the, that everything's positive and uh, got a great outlook, and our thoughts and prayers are with you. And let's let's do let's beat this thing, you know. Well, the, the prayers definitely help. I, I can prove that. Absolutely, I am proof of that. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Hey, Fergie, you were born. You're a Grand Rapids, Michigan type of guy, and uh, you know I spent a lot of years when I was growing up in Michigan too. But I knew one thing as as living in Michigan, in uh, is that in Holland and in uh, Grand Rapids that area, it was a huge Dutch community over there. We used to go to the to the what is it the Tulip Festival every single year with my family, oh, yeah. and uh, but but that's really where you're originally from because your family emigrated there to uh, to that area, right? When you were a kid. Right, yeah, I was just living, I, I grew up in a small suburb just outside of Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. Wyoming, Michigan, Yeah, yeah. and uh, it was a great life, it was a great life, got into, uh, you know, sports, uh, mostly gymnastics and music, mm-hmm. that's that's about all I did. <laughs> hey, Fergie, that's where your backflips from, come from, it's the... <laughs> they used to, I don't think, I'm, I'm not pulling one off any longer, I mean, I, I think I could if I was a million dollars or something like that, but uh, nah. <laughs> well, we certainly know that you have an incredible voice, and you've been singing for close to you know four decades now. But but how did you discover your voice? And uh, when you did, did you know that at that point you wanted a career in music? Well, i I had other people kind of discover my voice. It was it was kind of strange in the fact that when I was thirteen, I got in a, a band with my cousin, and then it, you know as time went on, I started meeting older musicians, older guys in town, and they. So I could sing, and so I ended up uh, playing with a bunch of older guys uh, pretty much all the time growing yeah. up uh, until my last band that I joined that was more more my age group. But um, just kind of learned from the older guys, and uh, they're still rocking, and it was it was fun. Yeah. And I had a couple original projects on the side during that time, but uh, yeah, I think the older guys kind of just saw something, and they uh, they helped me make it so that I could do it, which was really cool. 
Mm-hmm. You know, did, did you really have any of a, a specific vocal training or did you just basically have that gift and you just start putting out of you? I mean, did you study at all or not? I did. I didn't study until uh, when I went to L.A. with Toto and I, I, I studied under Seth Riggs mm-hmm. for a short period of time. And then Roland Wyatt, who was, uh, uh, God bless him, I, I don't know if he's still around, but he was a, a great, uh, great vocal coach. I enjoyed him and liked him better than Seth Riggs. Um, and Seth's pretty well known. Um, I didn't get much out of the vocal instruction as, as for as far as developing my voice to any particular thing I was looking mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. but I did get a great warm-up exercise and great endurance exercises that, as time has gone on, I've, I've created, I've, you know, my endurance has gotten better, you know, with the exception of my health a little bit once in a while, yeah. but... You know, that, that's probably the one thing that vocal instruction did me was show me how to warm up correctly and uh, how to just, you know, pace myself a little bit and things like that. Yeah. Well, you said a second ago that uh, you started out when you were 13 and you were playing in clubs and pubs and different things like that. And I was thinking about your parents and <laughs> what, what, yeah. were they, what were they thinking was, about that at the time? Were they pretty it was, supportive? It was, <laughs> no, they were pretty cool about it. I mean, I had a chaperone <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I was about, 16 that I started to actually play clubs. Okay. And it was limited to an extent, um, but uh, there was a couple, you know, other gigs that, that were definitely bars that I would do. But I was, you know, I was pretty much under chaperone, and they cleared it with the club owner and stuff. Yeah, so it was all legal. But my parents, <laughs> they were pretty good about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you started to touch on uh, your move to Chicago in 75, and you started playing in a band mm-hmm. called MS Funk. And in, right. like you said, in fact, you replaced Tommy Shaw, who, who was leaving the band to join Sticks. And uh, right. was it this opening in the band that led, you, led to your move to Chicago? And, and, you know, if so, how did MS Funk even learn about you? Well, MS Funk and Common People, we did a lot of touring together. We uh-huh. were handled by the same people. And I see. So we would go out as a package a lot of times or to a different area and rotate from clubs around like the East Coast and stuff like that. And uh, so when Tommy was leaving to join Six, I did get the call and I did. That was basically what moved me from, um, you know, Grand Rapids to Chicago. That mm-hmm. was pretty much the reason, yeah. You know, MS Funk, I guess you were with those guys for about a year, and then the band broke up, but uh, you had the good fortune of meeting uh, Patrick Leonard, and uh, you formed a band called Trillion. And, you know, of course, you were very involved in co-writing nearly all the tracks for that debut album, and and, uh, I think you guys also toured with Sticks and Heart, you know, when you were in that band as well. Um, Yeah. I was with Trillion, and uh, Pat and I pretty much started the band. Frankie uh, Frankie Barberlase got involved, and then we got uh, Bill Wilkins... He's been friends with Pat for a while, too. So it's kind of like all of us kind of put together this band. And uh, it was working out for a while. And then with our first record deal, the stuff was a little outside. It wasn't really uh, hard enough. It was kind of, you know, Gentle Giant meets Yes kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, you know and uh, it was okay. It just didn't, hadn't developed. And uh, I know that uh, they weren't happy with my vocals at that time for... Whatever reasons, I think they wanted a player in the band, someone to play guitar and stuff to cover some parts. And so I just uh, basically left them and moved out to L.A. Okay. That's, that's really what happened. But Pat and I have gotten together and written a couple things recently, and uh, I'm trying to keep track of him. And, you know, it's, he's a very successful guy, and he's, everything he touches seems just works so well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a trip back and let's check out a track from Trillion. And this is a tune called Big Boy. Mm-hmm. 
Let's talk a little bit about your, um, you know, your alias, uh, your good friend David London, <laughs> and you, uh, you know, you, you. Uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, give us a little oh, snapshot. Yeah. But was was that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, was that just a, a, a stride or just a small little phase? Or what, what, what was what was that all about? It was really. It really came down to when I moved to LA. I met John Joyce, who mm-hmm. was a, a background singer and a great singer. And he had introduced me to uh, the studio crowd, and I was starting to do session work and. and doing well at enjoying it and uh there was an audition that john sent me down uh for at that a&m recording studios and it was for they didn't say what it was for it was like really secretive and all this yeah well it was for jacques morale who was the uh the songwriter producer of the village people okay you know and i'm like okay well i went down <laughs> and i sang two songs and uh 
then they said uh, they'd get a hold of me, and they got a hold of me, and they offered me uh, a nice salary to work as David London, his alter ego, I'm sure it is. Wow. You know, a straight white guy, a you know, young guy. <laughs> just, I was totally Jock's alter ego, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, I said I'd do it. And I was just, a fresh, you know, newly married at the time. And so the money came in really handy. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I still kept doing what I wanted to do and did that as well. And it was just kind of an, it was a good experience, actually. Yeah. Um, I met some very interesting people. And, uh, it was it was definitely it was out of the ordinary in every in every way. It seemed like. <laughs> well, was that strictly a uh, studio album deal, or did you ever actually have to? Did you actually tour, or did you do any live gigs as David London? No, no, I did a couple of uh, uh, spot things, the lip syncing, or actually singing over the track, in a couple of discos here and there and stuff like yeah. that. It was. Yeah. It was good. They were all gay discos, too, dude. <laughs> 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 it was a little bit, talk about the, yeah, a little bit strange, but, uh, you know, it paid well, and it was, it was actually an interesting thing to put, you know, on my, uh, on my list of things I've done. It, just, right, it, was, yeah. it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was your connection to uh, Greg Jafria and the band Angel that led you to another mm-hmm. connection, a lifelong friend by the name of Ricky Phillips. Uh, who you've yes, worked, it is. I mean, who you've worked with with quite a bit over the years, including your uh, 1994 album uh, Fredericks and Phillips. Is that right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ricky is. Uh, he's a he's a great friend, and he's just a wonderful human being, and he's very talented. And uh, I'm blessed to be able to count him as a close friend. Absolutely. You know, um, a couple of other artists, well, you just mentioned the Village People a second ago, so I don't, I'm not going to talk about that anymore, but, you know, you did uh, connect with uh, Survivor, and I think mm-hmm. you, you did some backing vocals on Eye of the Tiger, and that's something I never knew about you, um, and I, you may have, did you sing lead or backing vocals on another track on that album? No, I just sang on Golden Girl, actually. Okay. I did the backgrounds on that. Uh, Jimmy and uh, Frankie came out to L.A., they got a hold of me. And they asked me if I would help, you know, help them get around and maybe try and find a bass player and a drummer. And I said, well, sure. So they came out and we uh, headed out, uh, I think it was a Friday night, and we went down to all the different clubs that I knew about. And we found uh, Stefan, the bass player, uh, playing in a roller rink. (laughs) 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 And uh, then Mark, I I would think Mark and Stefan might have been in the same band. They Uh may have been, because the rhythm section, yeah, it may have been the same. But anyway, they ended up getting Mark and Stefan. So it really worked out, and it was it was a ball doing it. It was fun. Yeah. Did you also have a opportunity to audition for Kansas? Is that right or not? Yes. Uh, it was um, right when Steve was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it came down to well, uh, let's see. Um, Bud Carr was handling Kansas at the time, and also handling the band The Rue. Okay. And when Kansas was looking for lead singer, he probably got a hold of John Joyce or somebody, and all right, I can't remember how it happened, but I went in saying, and it was between me and John Elefante. Yeah, I know. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, and it came down to us two, and they they went with John. And but but Carr says, by the way, I do have a band in Louisiana that I'd really like you to go and and and, and sing with and, and see what you think. And I went sure, so I went down to saw the and fell in love with them right mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest bunch of people, great great town, Baton Rouge, New Orleans. And uh, so I, I would join those guys and was with them in like three and a half, four years. Yeah. Well, speaking of LaRue, um, we've got a question from uh, uh, Uwe Reith, who's a, a, a German uh, correspondent that works with us at Inside Music Cast. And uh, 
he actually has quite a few questions we're going to pose from him later on in the in the interview. But he said in the early 80s, you sat in for lead singer Jeff Pollard in LaRue, and uh, the band had released a fantastic AOR album called So Fired Up, including catchy tunes such as Carrie's Song and Lifeline. And, and uh, he said you had a fair share of composing at least five songs. And he said, how did you share duties with the other band members? Well, with those guys, it's real easy. That's the magic of it. Yeah. I mean, they're just... they're the, Louisiana is just the... It's, 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 you strike gold for music when you go down there. If you yeah. want to listen to it or be a part of it or whatever, it's just... It's an unbelievable part of this country. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get enough uh, recognition. Mm-hmm. But the, there's people down there that just play like no one else plays, man. That's yeah, they're absolutely just, true. And the, and the groove and the attitude and the vibe... Is all laid back music, man, and it's mm-hmm. so much fun. And so, when we'd be writing together, someone would come up with an idea. We'd take it. Jimmy Odom would do some things. I would put a melody to it. Uh, Tony would come in and write some lyrics and put a. You know, it just it was always flowing and always available. And so that was the magic of of that short time that we actually did that writing. It wasn't very long at all, and we came up with some pretty good songs. So, yeah, it, they're just. They're the best. I'm going down to play with them in, uh, I think, October at a festival, and I look forward to that each year because I get to get my, uh, you know, get my another, uh, you know, fix for, uh, like, Louisiana food, yeah. lifestyle, and especially <laughs> music. I just, I, yeah. I treasure going down there once a year to do this. Yeah, you, you're talking about the, the New Orleans, uh, the Heritage, Jazz and Heritage Festival. Uh, it well, actually no, it's it's actually Voices of the Wetlands. I gotcha. Which uh, Tab uh, Benoit um, uh-huh. does uh, each year, his family and himself, uh, to bring awareness to the wetlands. Mm-hmm. We're down in Homa, Louisiana, right there, and uh, have people be conscious of you know what's going on down there, and especially with the oil spill, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, you know, all that became really highlighted and, and everything, and. Thank God Mother Nature is able to do what she does because it's really the remnants of that is not near as much or catastrophic as people have thought. So that's really good news. And, but they, they just really spend a lot of time talking to congressmen, you know, lobbying and this and that. And they're, they're just really active and got a great cause and a great bunch of people. Hey guys, let's take a quick break and I want to check out a track from LaRue that had some traction here in the States on the charts. And this is a track called Carrie's Gone.
We have a good friend uh, from the Netherlands that asks. Uh, his name is Hank Jan Palman, and uh, he wants to know a little bit on, on LaRue, a little bit more of LaRue. He wants to know if there were any in unreleased songs that really never saw the light of day. Um, actually, I think there are. And uh, right now, um, Jimmy Odom and I, the guitar player, we've been uh, talking weekly, and uh, he's helping me put together a studio in my house, and then also we're going to be... Uh, I'm, going down there early to do some writing with him as well. So, uh, and I could find out from him because he'd be the guy that had him on the two inch mm-hmm, you know, okay. or the one inch tape. I think we we're doing 16 tracks on one inch uh-huh. for the demos. Uh, but yeah, I, I believe there are. And uh, I think that's one of the things we're going to do is go through that and just see what we can find. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So he might, he might actually hear one. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Um, you know, you, you had also formed a band called Abandoned Shame, along with Mr. Big Drummer Pat Torpy, uh, studio guitarist mm-hmm. Tim Pierce, and Scott Sheets, as well as uh, keyboardist John Perdell. And did you guys ever record an album? And if so, is it available? No, I never did. Okay. But God bless John Perdell because he was just amazing, amazing singer, amazing producer. He was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that never really saw the light of day. It, um, it, it started out as a, a project that uh, I left and joined Toto in, in like the middle of it, and so okay. I kind of bailed on it, you know. Which brings us basically to 1984 and, you know, the year that you joined Toto, and you were recommended by Styx bassist Ricky Phillips, so it, it involves uh, Jeff Percaro. Tell us a little bit about uh, how your first meeting and auditions went uh, with Toto. Well, this is kind of a cool story. Yeah. I was... Uh, over in Germany, working with Ricky, Pat, and uh, and uh, a couple other people. Pat maybe didn't make it, but we were over writing and doing stuff. Scott Sheets. And we had, uh, I received a phone call. And the, the phone call was either Mark Hartley or Larry Fitzgerald. I can't remember exactly yeah. which one. Those guys managed the band at that time. And they said, is this for a guy? I said, yeah. I said, well, I think we'd like you to join the band Toto. And I said... Who the heck is this? Come on, this is an expensive joke. Get, get the hell out. You know, you've got to be kidding me. Come on, who is it? Is this Jimmy? Come on. <laughs> oh, it's Mark. I go, are you serious, dude? He said, yeah. And I said, wow. He said, can you make it back uh, uh, when you get back? Uh, I said, I told him the day I got back. And he said, well, can you come in the next day? I said, well, can I have one day to chill? And he said, yeah. So I said, fine. And I told Ricky about it. Who The way I actually had landed the uh, audition was that Ricky had given Jeff Picaro a, a videotape of LaRue and the CD of LaRue. And so I think maybe a cassette tape at that time, bro. And uh, so Jeff listened to it and passed around the band, so they, they thought that I'd be the guy. And uh, so that's how that happened. So when I got back, um, I took that day off, and then I went in and sang uh, four songs. They had me learn, I think, Lion and, and a couple other things. And uh, they said, after four songs, they said, you got the game. Wow. Really? (laughs) Cool. (laughs) It was the biggest band in the world at that time. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is great. You know, they were coming off such a, a hugely successful time in their career, obviously, you know, with the with Toto 4. You know, and shortly after the band, you know, began recording uh, their album Isolation, Bobby Kimball and the band parted ways and the search for a new singer had begun for them. And, and I know they had, I think they considered maybe one other guy, Eric Martin, comes to mind. But what would you say was it about you and your voice that connected with those guys? What do you, what do you think brought you uh, into the band? Well, that's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, and the fact that 
I think what brought me into the band, and, and, and this is this is the quandary Toto's faced in the States forever, and uh, hopefully it's getting better because it's just amazing music and amazing talent, you know, and even with Jeff gone and, and, and Mike not seeing me well, I mean, they still, you know, Lee Sklar and then Simon on drums. I mean, it's, it's just amazing stuff. Um, and Joe singing for him now. It's, it's, it's all great. The one thing that I think the guys, this is my own opinion, and, and that's just my opinion. The guys were looking for something to pull them into, like being able to do the sheds that Aerosmith does and Sticks does and, and have a, a hard following of people that just want to rock with yeah. them, you know, just want to kick ass, you know? Yeah. And I think that my voice and my range and, and my stage performance because um, they watched the video and they saw, you know, what I'm able to do and probably checked with some people and stuff. So, I mean, I was probably looking at, they were probably looking at me like going, this could be very well be the guy that could pull us out of that if we just, you know, you know, do it. And it was, it was a, a, a rolling the dice with me and, and stuff. The, uh, the other side of that double edge that I'm saying was that with Toto being so diversified in their abilities to write, sure. so diversified in their abilities to play, and such great musicians and great writers and great singers. It's 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 the continuity between if you want to if you want to get a band out on the tour that's doing sheds and stuff, you got to have a real kick-ass rock and roll album from start to finish that doesn't confuse people and gives people exactly what they're looking for, which is to just kick their butt. Yeah, you know, with Toto, it 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 was there, it did, but then there were also songs that were a little more different. And, and didn't carry that continuity. And that's that's really the total mystique. I mean, that's really what they're about. So in having me and the band fill that void to try and do something, I don't think it was ever taken to the level of looking at it to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, it, I mean, if it makes sense at all. But at the same time, it might not have either. You know, so, but I'm just saying, that's the one thing that I see and had I, you know, had we had more time to work on songs and write together and put together in our mind's eye what we were trying to portray on stage and in a rock arena type of deal and really research that, I think it would have been better. Um, that's my own opinion. When you finally joined the band, um, can you explain to us a little bit about you know what you were feeling? Obviously, you said a second ago you thought it was a joke at first and you thought somebody was playing a prank, but did you? I mean, when you once you were finally there, did you feel any inherent pressure or feel as though there was a certain standard you had to live up to, knowing a that these guys were some of the best musicians on the planet, and that also that they you know had literally swept the Grammys with Toto Four? Well, yeah, uh, most definitely. Yeah, you know that's that's. I mean, anybody that's uh, a musician or anybody that. Uh, would be placed in that in a position like that, whether it be in a job or you know any other type of lateral type of situation. Yeah, yeah, you feel the pressure. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed as if um, when you look at the, the body of work in isolation, that it seemed to fit really perfectly with your vocal style. And you know, like like Rick said, we were they were just coming off of Total Four, and this sort of uh, was a departure from that musical style. And uh, having mm-hmm. entered the recording process, you know, after the band had already started recording. Um, I mean, how uh, how easy was it for you to jump in? Uh, was uh, was the band receptive for your ideas, or are they saying, "Hey, look, here here's what we want," type of thing? I mean, how how seamless was the the entrance? Uh, they're very into- receptive. Yeah, very receptive. Very easy to work with, and and I, I, I really care about all, each and every one of them. I uh, it was it it was just 
I think that it, it goes back again to, you know, the, the, the songs, the continuity, because I mean, like, Angel Don't Cry, you know, Isolation, Carmen, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you take these things and you look at even Lion, which was funky, but it still kicked butt, you right. know? Exactly. Um, so I mean, you look at that stuff, and then you look at, you know, some of the, you know, like Holy Anna and, and other songs that may be in there, and that, that by far was not Luke's best ballad ever, you know, but he's, he's the master at it, and he's, He's written some of the best songs in the world, but you know, it just it was one of those things where you you just look at it and you go, maybe if the if there would have been five other songs to replace, maybe say these five songs, would it have made a difference? You know, but that's not what Toto's about either. Yeah. So that's that's that thing. Well, uh, another question from Uwe Reith in Germany. He he wondered. He says, uh, as opposed to your tenure in Trillion or Larue, he says, uh, did Toto demand a different kind of preparation in terms of uh, recording and touring? Um, a little bit, a, yeah. a little bit, not a whole lot, but a little bit. It, it, the preparation really was was mentally to um, to stand up to the to the uh, expectations of the hits, which I had to sing and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was. On, on tour, singing the songs that I co-wrote and stuff like that was no problem. Yeah, it was just you know you come into a song. I mean, you do a Bobby Kimball version of "Hold the Line." Yeah, all you can do is hope that you it, that translates and people dig it. You know, yeah, right? Because exactly. you can't really. Bobby's got a, such a great voice and an individual voice. Yeah, that trying to cop it too much is just almost defeating. You know, yeah. so it's one of those things that you just you 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 get the gig, you you do your best, uh, you prepare as best you can with with, um, you know, health and uh, mental and all that stuff, and, uh, you know, go out and do it. Yep, absolutely. You know, you also had the opportunity to do some touring with Toto, so give us a general idea of what it was like, you know, with Luke, Jeff, uh, the Parcaros, and Paige going out on the road with those guys. <laughs> I can't tell stories like that. Honestly. That's that's what we're here it for, Fergie. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. Like life, according to Lukather, yeah, is a lesson in itself. I mean, you you will just be amazed. Like, you spend twenty minutes with a guy in a fun atmosphere. You just you. I don't know if you have or talked to him or anything, but he's just hilarious. We've gotten to know him pretty well over the years. Yeah. Amazing guy, funny. and and Jeff was you know Jeff was like the godfather of rock, or I used to call him just you know really low key and had a deep voice, and and Paige was always just fun, and Mike Mike I probably connected with the most, um, just uh, just a groove monster, yeah, just, absolutely, you know, on stage just grooving and loving it, and then Jeff on drums, my dad, you know, wait, you just pretty cool, and then Steve Steve Picaro on keyboards, and Steve's one of the goofiest guys I ever met in my life too, and he's just. It's a fun, fun per second ratio with that band at all times. It was great. It was great. <laughs> well, you just mentioned uh, Jeff Percaro, and um, you know this this past August fifth marked the twentieth anniversary of uh, his passing. And you know, having been in the band and worked with Jeff, uh, can you give us your thoughts about him as a musician, uh, a bandmate, and also as a person? Well, let me start with a person. It's, yeah. uh, a great person. He had a lot of uh, a lot of hobbies. Not, I mean, not a lot of hobbies, but hobbies, painting. He, was, he, he loved painting. He loved uh, gardening. He loved his children. He loved his wife. He loved his friends. He would, we would have poker games in the studio on every Thursday night or Tuesday night, whatever. And uh, it would just be so much fun just meeting all these different people. David Gilmore and stuff would stop over and just, you know, play some poker and laugh. And it was really seriously fun stuff. And, and just kind of his... 
his attitude towards life and friends was an inspiration to me yeah. in a lot of ways. I really looked up to him in, in those things, and he was really solid. And as a as a friend, he was you know he's always willing to listen. He's uh, very schooled in everything that he did, so he knew answers before I maybe asked him. He taught me what what behind the beat means. Uh-huh. You know, before I, I was always just a young rocker singing above it, ahead of it. And he taught me what behind the beat feels like and where to where to set it and where to lay it down for vocals. And it really helped me in a lot of ways and changed my whole outlook on, on some things. And then as a musician, um, unprecedented. You know, there's only a few cats that have been alive that, that have done what he's done. And, yeah. and uh, no one has that shuffle goof feel <laughs> with the rock, rock edge like he does. It's just doesn't happen. That's you know, right. It's just fantastic. Cool. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. That's that's great. No problem. God bless you. Staying with Toto, um, you know, I've I've heard various stories as to why you were not brought back with the band for their next album, but I'd love to know your thoughts about your departure and how you know, kind of your take on it. I think it just it came down to I was feeling the pressure. I knew the album didn't do as well as it was expected to. I could feel the, the band swinging back to a little less of my style of music, rock, you know. Um, the closest thing to, I think, rock and roll on Fahrenheit that, that, that I would be behind was a song that I co-wrote, which is not on the album credits, but it's it's with BMI, which matters. But uh, could this be love, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, I, I feel that I was seeing that uh, my days were numbered. I, I could feel it because it just... It wasn't I wasn't maybe executing as quickly as they wished I would in the studio as well. And I did have a bad spot in the tour where I, I lost my voice and it was humiliating to me. Yeah. And uh you know, put all those things together with the fact that it wasn't selling as well as, as what people had hoped and uh you know, I just could I could feel it and I knew it was coming and, and when it did it it was it was bad. You know, for me, um, but you know, life goes on, buddy. But uh, you did rejoin the guys back. I think it was like in two thousand seven for a live gig. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. I, I, I guess that went over really well. It was fun. Yeah. We, they came to Minneapolis, and I brought my son, the, the drummer, guitar player, down with me, and we uh, jammed uh, three. What we did, jammed uh, "Isolation," "Angel Won't Cry." I helped with "I Supply to Love." I think was it. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was just great having Luke next to me and, and, and feeling his vibe and and being a part of that and meeting Bobby really for the first time in a long time, seeing yeah. him and never met Simon before. You know, Lee Sklar, knew of Lee of course, but never met him. And then uh, Greg, yeah, you know, just amazing. So I mean, it was a really good night. And that's when my son really got the taste of uh, the uh, life according to Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny. I wish I could tell you the story, but I can't. But it was just funny. That poor kid will be scarred for life. No doubt. <laughs> He's scarred for life. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe, I think maybe the opposite. I think maybe just seeing, you know, how quick and how extreme a person can be in, in, in their choice of words. Yeah. That's to make a point. <laughs> you know? It's cool. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Did too, so. So after Toto, you came up for air and uh, sort of retired or pulled away from the music scene for a little bit and, and took another another line of, of work there just to, to clear the senses, if you would. And uh, it was something that you did with your dad. Tell us about uh, what you did for uh, to, to clean the palate, if you would. 
No, I didn't go in with my dad, no. Okay. How did you get into the restaurant business then? Um, I was through a close friend of mine, Doug Banker. He's mm-hmm. been Ted Nugent's manager for, oh, I think 30 years now. Um, him and a friend uh, that uh, from Fox Productions, Harry, no, not Harry Fox. Oh, geez, I can't remember his name now. But anyway, they were starting, a, they were thinking about starting a, a chain of restaurants. They contacted me because I had told Doug that I'm, you know, thinking about getting out of music for a while. And yeah. Doug and I have been close, close friends. And uh, so I kind of jumped into that and uh, got really good at it. Um, didn't really care for it that much, but uh, I, I, did, I did enjoy a lot of it. But then I, you know, after a certain amount of time, I realized that I wasn't a happy camper and I needed to get back to music. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it was, what was it, 94 is when you actually returned to music and you recorded a, a fantastic album with your good friend Ricky Phillips um, called Fredrickson Phillips. And uh, this this was the motivation that brought you back to music. Is that right? That was it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when uh, when uh, Ricky called me and said that uh, Empire Records was interested in doing a record with him and I, um, a light came on and I just went, oh, let me see. Do another record, co-write and, sing, and be with my one of my best friends. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'll do it. <laughs> well, you had some incredible players on that album. Like, uh, you know, you had Neil Schoen and uh, Dean Castronovo and Mike mm-hmm. Finnegan, Jason Sheff, Steve Ferris, Tim Pierce, Guy Allison, and the list goes on. Um, first of all, how did you assemble such an incredible cast of characters for for this band and, uh, and you know, for this album? And uh, how, how long did it take you to record the album? The album was done very quickly. Yeah. Um, once Ricky is really the guy that got that pulled all the, the good old boys club favor. And, um, you know, he, Alan White, he knew Alan, he, he did Dean, you know, and everything. So, I mean, it was more of a Ricky uh, just reaching out and saying, hey, Fergie and I are doing this. And I, yeah. I know they knew of me, and I knew some of them as well. And uh, they obliged with, you know, doing us a favor, really. I don't think anybody made a whole bunch of dough on it. But, anything, yeah, yeah. but you know, it was a, just a really good hang at a nice studio. And, and uh, it, Ricky, Ricky's work ethic as far as a uh, musician, is unprecedented. He's, he gets into something, and he dives in. He'll, he'll bathe in it for, for weeks or months at a time. He's, I, just, I love the way he works. I love the way he communicates to me. And, and uh, he's one of the guys that when I do a vocal, I know I'm going to get the best I can out of it. Just like Jim Peterick and Larry Millis, yeah. I know I'm going to get the best I can out of it. And a gal here in town, Pamela McNeil. So... Yeah, as far as getting all those people, it was pretty much favors for Ricky and me that it all happened, and it happened quickly. It was pretty. It was a crazy ride for about ten days in L.A. It was fun. <laughs> well, that's very really cool. In 1999, you went uh, back to the studio and recorded your first solo album called Equilibrium, and uh, you had a lot of success with this album in Europe and parts uh, in Asia also. So, can you uh, share some thoughts on this album and uh, what uh, this album uh, might have meant to you? Well, it uh, it meant a lot to me, and the fact that it was my first one back doing it myself, mm-hmm. and um, not that Ricky was involved. Ricky actually produced that, and um, but uh, Jim Peter got involved with uh, Equilibrium, uh, and then the ballad on there as well. And it was it was just a, a I guess it was just a step in the right direction. Well, you had some major guys, you know. You had Steve Procaro, Neil Schoen, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Ricky himself, Bruce Gowdy, and to name a few. So you were you were back connecting again with uh, Steve Procaro on this uh, on this project too. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, neat. yeah, he's great. <laughs> hey, Fergie, I want to take another break, and I want to check out a track from your first solo album from 1999 called Equilibrium. 
and this is a track called Best I Can Be.
Well, you also have a, a long-term collaboration with uh, Swedish guitarist Tommy Denander. And uh, how did this collaboration come about? And uh, tell us a little bit about the melodic rock album Baptism by Fire that you put out in 2007. Oh, okay. Well, when I went over to do a little promotional tour for Equilibrium, um, who was it that brought me over? Magnus Sadenquist. Oh, okay, yeah. Brought, brought me over. And uh, so I, I did this thing. Uh, for uh, MTM Records, because that's what the label was on, did that for them in Sweden, just as a little, you know, teaser, just to you know, plug the album a little bit. And sure. uh, uh, Magnus wanted me to meet this guitar player friend of his that was really good, and and uh, wanted to know if I'd sing a couple songs for him. And I said, well, let's go over and meet him and, and see how it goes. And sure enough, I met Tommy, and that really was the beginning of a, a lifelong friendship. I mean, it, there's no doubt in my mind that um, that uh, he will be, you know, my one of my best friends forever. And he's such a great guitar player, yeah, and um, a great songwriter. And so it came time for uh, another record, and I was debating on what to do because Ricky was at that time pretty busy, and um, I didn't uh, really know what what direction I wanted to go, and Tommy started to send me some songs and stuff, and I said, dude, why don't we just do a Fredrickson Denander? You know? And so he said, sure. And so um, I wrote that song, uh, the title cut, Baptism by Fire, again with Jim Peterick, and it's pretty much about my father uh-huh. and uh, his passing, and um, had a good, good time uh, doing it and recording it. it. It worked out really well. Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we had, uh, uh, we've got some questions coming up here in just a few minutes from some Facebook fans, uh, okay. pe- people that have posted it to our Facebook page. But Tommy actually uh, wrote a message on there earlier today, too, and he goes, I don't have a question, but he said, he goes, tell Fergie I'll see him next week and send him all my love. So <laughs> Tom, oh, Tommy go. was yeah, there as well. Yeah, we've seen him on Monday or Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. One of the collaborations you've also had with Tommy is the uh, on the Legends Voices of Rock shows that you know, seem to be extremely popular over there in Europe. And these shows involve a rotating cast of singers such as you and Bobby Kimball and uh, I believe Bill Champlin and Steve O'Garry and uh, Joe Lynn Turner. And how often do these shows take place and how involved are you with these shows? Well, I'm, I'm vested into it uh, a lot. I mean, I really enjoy it. Um, the band over there is really amazing, uh-huh. you know. And uh, the more shows are coming in all the time. I just heard about some shows down in Mexico, and then they're talking of other places. And the band is making, you know, it's brand new, you know, and so there's growing pains and this and that. And right now it's uh, it's working its way into being a, a really good thing for for me and, and I think for Bill and other people involved. It's it's a great hang. Bill Champlin's one of my favorite people to hang with. And, uh, you know, it's... It's just uh, a great way of getting out to do your songs and um, give the people what they want in a yeah. you know in a conglomerate effort from myself and three other singers or whatever you know it's 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 uh, it's it's really cool and I'm you know the, the the band over there you got Tommy on guitar and then you got Sailor Dolan on guitar as well and say it just is really good Tommy's yeah. you know one of the best and uh, then keyboards is Peel Nielsen. And uh, he's fantastic. Ken Sandin, uh-huh. and then Pontius Edinburgh, you know, on drums. It's just amazing band. Oh. It just is. I don't know what they do in Sweden or what kind of water they drink. But they have some <laughs> of the greatest musicians in the world. You're absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
Uh, Sweden and Norway as well. I, there's some yeah. fabulous musicians coming out of there. We we interviewed uh, Ulla Barud uh, last year. Yeah, and there's also Andreas uh, Aleman. These guys are producing some incredible West Coast type of uh, music. It's it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, you got to check them out. We've interviewed both of those guys, and uh, their 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 uh, interviews are up on our site if you want to take a listen to them because we do yeah, play some I of the music. Will. But yeah, they're really talented, kind of beyond beyond belief. So yeah, and, but I have communicated with Ula before. Now I think about it. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. You yeah. know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we we talked about you know your battle with with liver cancer and how you're you're winning that battle. And but you know through that difficult time in your life in 2010 when that all came down, uh, you had some support from some really good friends uh, such as Alex uh, Ligertwood, and uh, mm-hmm. you know he he was the he was the one who kind of inspired you to get back into it and try to get this uh, next album uh, going. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He's a little Scotsman. He's he's really ornery. <laughs> he doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> Eddie and I got to meet him just a few months ago uh, here uh, locally uh, at this place, this little jazz club that we saw him perform with uh, David Garfield. And it was oh, with Preachy? Cool. Yeah, first time we got to meet him, and uh, he was great. We got a little interview up on our website also with him. So, But I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. No, that's fine. No, I, mean, I forgot what we were talking about. We were talking about how Alex was uh, real instrumental in, in giving you uh, some really support, some great support in, in starting the next album, which was Happiness is the Road. Yeah, I mean, I, at that time, I didn't know what was going on with me. Everything was pretty much in the dark, and I was in process of doing the record, and I was just thinking about, well, I don't know. I might want to spend my time doing something else. He says, yeah. F you, Fug. You're going to do it. There's no one, you know, that's it. You're doing it. Shut up. You're doing it. <laughs> so you did I it. Said, you know what? A little tough love right there. I guess I could do it. <laughs> well, it must have. Uh, I was just thinking about you know, obviously fighting the illness and and you know having the strength to go into the studio. It had to be a challenge to create. Um, but I also have to think it was probably really therapeutic for you as well. Yeah, I had like Pamela uh, McNeil and her husband uh, Dugan um, were. So understanding with my, my uh, I guess my endurance and stuff that you know there was days I'd go in and you know I was doing these nasty pills which I still am but not near as much of them which is great but yeah. um, I'd go in and I just didn't have it any yeah and they said just go home get some rest come back tomorrow or the next day whenever we get studio time again we'll just do it no worries no worries and so that really helped too you know yeah. they were such good friends as to you know just understand that. They could they could see it in my actions and in my eyes and and they got the best out of me that uh, was available at that time. Yeah, you know I, I think the one track that stands out is um, "Follow Your Heart." Yep, and uh, that was just uh, an amazing uh, song to me. I mean that's that's the one that really. And I told Jim that I was just writing with him the other day. I said that you're you're probably this song is probably the one song that 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 made me perceive this next part of my life um, more than anything, yeah. you know, and there was, you know, I just thanked him for it, you know, because yeah. it, was, it was really the words and the lyrics, and, you know, I've had conversations with my sons similar to what we were talking about in that song and, and stuff, and in the video, it had my son in the video, and, and you know, it's just, it's, uh, it was the one thing probably that, that inspired me to, to get more energy, to, to get out there, to do more. And, uh, you know, by leaving WCR and that other all-star band I played with for 15 years and then going over and doing the things in Sweden and Japan and stuff with Tommy Donatter and the guys from Legends and stuff and Bill and everybody, um, that was a big move for me. 
yeah. you know, to leave my comfort zone. And I, I did it, and I'm so, so glad I did. Because yeah. the reception overseas has been just phenomenal, amazing. Well, as you mentioned, follow your heart. Um, if anybody goes to your to your website, and I clearly have, and and I saw the the, the video. It's it's really wonderful. It's a wonderful video, and like oh, you said, you. I can I can really uh, compliment you on a on a well written song. You know how you can sometimes tell a, when a, a song is really well crafted. You know, this is a yep. very well crafted song. It it really yes, came it from is. the heart, and uh, so yep. I encourage everybody to get out there to to the Fergie's uh, website and and check out that track. Follow your heart yep. and uh, inform of the video. Yeah, and Dennis Ward had a lot to do with that song. Mm-hmm. He, did, he did a phenomenal job on the second verse where the strings come in and stuff. And then also uh, Eric Rango did a great job on keyboards on that song. Amazing job. They had a lot of really good reasons why it was so cool. Yeah, who was playing uh, keyboards on the video? On the, oh, that was Jim Peter. Okay. Yeah, he was faking it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Rango says, he's coming to play the right notes. <laughs> Uh, Okay, buddy. It's too late, but I will. From Fergie's latest solo release, Happiness is the Road, this is The Savior. And as the time 
Well, hey, Fergie, we've got some uh, questions uh, and some comments from people on Facebook who uh, follow Inside Music Cast, and we posted a message up there today telling people we were going to interview you. And uh, mm-hmm. the first one here is from Scott Davis. He's from Seminole, Florida. And he says, my band opened for Fergie's at the Blue Ox in Brainerd, Minnesota back in the mid-90s. And he was very friendly, courteous, and professional because I was amazed by the power of his voice right off the stage. And with less stellar monitoring, his pitch control uh, was perfect. He said, ask him about the different principles of performing live versus the studios. Well, um, I tell you, it's, it, live is is become more of a somewhat of a studio experience with in-ear monitors. Yeah. Um, and I love them. Um, although I have to admit, I just did a, a show in Rhode Island where I didn't use them. And I kind of like that too. I, I think the difference in live compared to studios, number one, there's people, no one looking at you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what you're doing in there, you can be doing it in your underwear, no one cares, you yep, know? Right. Um, on live, you want to be able to, I, I know people listen with their eyes. And if you project and really mean what you're singing and saying, people will pick that up. Yeah. And so I think live wise, it's just, it's, it's basically being able to, reach in your soul and try and project what you're feeling to them. Give them a piece of you. And it's a catch-22 sometimes because too much, you want to maybe give them too much and then the next night you're, you're, you're hoarse or sore, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, that's pacing yourself and you have to be professional and know how to do that. And then on the other end, it's, it's immediate gratification you get when people hear something that you just performed and they like it. It's, it's a wonderful occupation to have because you get that immediate gratification right off, right there, right then, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Well, we have another um, Facebook question for you. And this one sure. comes from Harry Whitley from Wales in the UK. And he says, I'm a 17-year-old keyboardist, and uh, he wants to know what inspires you most about in general, about I mean, music in general, and what uh, was the best musical experience of your life so far? It's coming from a 17-year-old. Wow. Harry, yeah, you're right Harry. on, bro. I know, I know. <laughs> this is great. Um <laughs> Well, I think as far as inspired me was the fact that I realized I could sing. I really, I realized I had the aptitude to do that. And I'm sure as a keyboard player, he's probably very good at math, and he's probably an analytical guy and, and probably very good at it. Before you have the dream, I think your abilities start to lead you in that direction. Yeah. And that really, really did uh, help me when I was getting the older guys saying, hey, come and play with us. You know, we, we're playing five nights a week, and uh, you can pick up some good dough. I'm like, well, maybe so. Um, you know, and start to realize that, you know, there is there is a way to maybe make a living. Although I tell every kid that's that's asking me these questions, finish school. You know, get to something that you can count on mm-hmm. if, if music doesn't work because it just doesn't always turn out, you know, the way you want it to. Right, you right. know. Um, but as far as my favorite musical experience, wow. I think probably the one that sticks out the most for me was the first night at Budokan. With Toto. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it just, I was just welcomed into this wonderful city. I've been treated like a, a, a total rock star. You know, they're very humble and they're all really nice, you know, and, uh, and then looking out at the crowd. And the one thing I remember, which is, I don't know if it's sick or not, but looking out at the crowd and seeing all these black heads standing up. All the people standing up for like the encore, they're allowed to stand up for the encore only. And 
they're all the same size. <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm looking at them all black heads and they're all bouncing. And they're so they're like, wow, this is, yeah, there's not a blonde person out there, I don't think. It was just, yeah, I don't know. That's just kind of a freaky thing, but I just, the vibe at Budokan was just amazing, you know. Oh, cool. We've got another question from John Marshall from Newport News, Virginia. And mm-hmm. uh, his question is Toto related. He said, which of the isolation songs were most difficult for you to sing in the studio and live and why? And, it, and he also asks if uh, – well, go ahead and answer that one first, I guess. He says, uh, which is the most difficult – or which of the isolation tracks were most difficult for you, for you to sing in the studio and live? I really can't remember that much about it. I know that Lion is when I learned about the backbeat with Jeff. Yeah. And that was, you know, I verged on rock and roll and, and heavy R&B. And uh, so I learned that. So that was maybe the most difficult, but also the most rewarding. Yeah. Um, and then live-wise, none of them were really s- super hard. But I know we started doing Mr. Friendly, and that's right at the top of my range with a lot of rasp on it. And I think that's the one that, which I'm probably thankful, didn't make, make the set for very long. <laughs> it, was, it was one that I, I could sing. I could do it. And I, I, I would have learned how to pace myself, but I hadn't yet with that tune because it's right up in, you know, just, it's a kind of a sweet spot for me. But it's also at that point where you just go, I'm doing some damage here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Are you saying that's the that's the song that they just kicked the show off with? Was Mister Friendly? Uh, no, actually, Mister Friendly was later in the show. We oh, okay. always seem to start with Carmen. Oh, okay, that always worked well. Okay, really, yeah. Well, John's uh, John's second part of John's question. He says, if you could have chosen singles to be released uh, from the album Isolation back in '84, what would have been your choices? I thought Endless stood a chance. Yeah. You know, um, kind of poppy, but still rocking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it was a big hit over in uh, Europe mm-hmm. and Japan, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't get released as a single here, so no one really heard it. Yeah. So I think that was that's about the only one that I w- would say. Okay. All right. Thanks for that question, John. One more question here from uh, Max Mary. He's from Melbourne, Australia, and he says, uh, "Hi, Fergie." He says, uh, "I'd like to know uh, um, if he knew Bobby Kimball prior to joining Toto, and did they ever work together uh, on vocals for Stranger in Town?" Um, no, okay. I didn't know Bobby before. Mm-hmm. I did get a phone call right after I joined the band from Bobby, telling me that if he if I needed anything or. You know, if you, you give him a call on something, just go ahead and feel free to. He's there, you know, if I need him. And I thought that was really neat that he did that. Um, and then uh, as of singing with Bobby, the first time that happened was when the Toto came to uh, Minneapolis. Okay. Really? You know? Yeah, but I have, of course, done it with him in Japan and over in Sweden okay. lately. Yeah. So that that's a that is fun for me. That's cool. That is serious fun, yeah. And then the last uh, last one we have is not a question. It's a comment. Okay. And it's from Mikhail Olsen from Sweden. And uh, he said the first Toto album that hit his record player was Isolation. And he said this moment was magic. He said Carmen, Angel Don't Cry, Lion. He said he got tears in his eyes when he listened to those magic tracks. That's cool. So I thought you'd be wow. interested in hearing that. Yeah, he was obviously a huge fan and, and loved that album. So. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I mean, uh, that's... That's uh, really humbling, and I'm really happy to hear that because uh, that's what I'm doing now with the legends. I'm doing those songs, and 
enjoying it and and loving it. So very cool. I'm really really happy to hear that 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 they're so close to him. Well, Thank you're, you. you're headed uh, you're headed to Sweden here pretty soon, and uh, Mikhail's from Sweden, so Mikhail, maybe you can head over and uh, catch the uh, your the, the show that uh, absolutely, gonna, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, if you can get a message, if he's listening and stuff, or in short, it'll actually be done by the time we we release this. But uh, I hope I get a chance to meet him. I'm always always willing to 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 meet somebody that connects with me. I think it's great. <laughs> you know, that's cool. I Would love you? it. I love that. So no problem. Hey Fergie, we want to close by just uh, mentioning you. You had mentioned to me on the phone last week that you're uh, you're actually in the process of uh, working on a new uh, album, and I just wanted to find out where you are in the process and uh, you know, what your you know any, any information you can give us at this point. Yeah, I'm uh, working uh, with Tommy uh, Donater. I'm, I'm flying over early for the Sweden stuff. We're working two days with him. Uh, writing and then also doing some studio sessions, maybe demoing what, what we come up with. Or also, there's some couple songs on a record that somebody wants me to do, so I'm going to do those. And then uh, it's uh, started, um, yeah. and I've already co-written two with Jim Peterick. Mm-hmm. We uh, we did the title cut, I think, because we always always seem to write it. And there's a uh, any given moment is the title, and uh, that came out really nice. And okay. then another one's a rocker, which. Uh, waiting, waiting for the demo from him as we speak, and so I, I guess you know I'm in the very beginning stages of the writing, um, but a lot's being done quickly, and uh, I just haven't heard everything that's been prepared yet. So I yeah. think I'm well on my way, and uh, it's, it's hopefully going to be the best I've ever done. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That's good. Well, please keep us posted on that, and we'll be sure to keep our uh, our uh, listeners updated. You got it, buddy. Well, Not cool. a problem. Well, Fergie, thanks for spending all this time with us. It, it was great to talk to you. We've, we've had you on our radar for quite some time, and yeah. and uh, so and I know our fans are going to really dig hearing from you. Great. Well, Ed and Rick, thank you so much, man. It's a, it's a great service you're doing us, guys. So thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. All right, take care, Fergie. All right, brother. We'll you talk to you soon. Take care, boy. Bye. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Fergie Fredrickson for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, and Scott Sheriff for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast.